all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And today I have on Dr. Sheila Bolden, who is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at UMMC. Um, And I'm excited to have her on this morning with us. So welcome. Thank you, Dr. Kinsey. I'm excited to be here. And so I tell everybody I have to say I'm a little biased here this morning. So I completely trust everything um, Sheila is saying to us this morning. But she did deliver two of my three kids. And it would have been the third one if she didn't decide to come the exact two days that Dr. Bolden was out of town. My daughter decided to make her arrival. So uh, so all that to say. Um, is I'm excited to have her on today. And, and if that's not enough, she's delivered my baby, so I trust what she's saying. Um, but, of course, she also kind of has the credentials to back it up. So if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, Sheila. Sure. Um, I am at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I am the Women's Health Division Director. And um, menopause is very special to me because, number one, I'm that menopausal woman And also, I am a member of the North American Menopause Society and a national certified menopause practitioner. The only thing that means is that I have studied, taken the exam and do the continuing education on menopause on a yearly basis. So all that to say, she is well-versed in in menopause. And I think she's the only one in the state with that certification. That is correct at the present time. Yep. Well, I think that this is just a great opportunity because one for one thing, this is a common question that I get from a lot of my patients. But on top of that, as a practicing physician, it's probably something a lot of physicians are not as comfortable with managing, diagnosing, treating, and sometimes can be a little bit of challenge. And interestingly enough, um, Sheila, I was looking, kind of preparing for today, and one of the things that's coming out in a lot of data is actually saying that medical schools and residencies, including internal medicine, obstetrics, gynecology, and sometimes even family medicine practices, a lot of these residents and students are receiving little to no training in the management of menopause. You're absolutely correct. I know from the uh, Council of Resident Education and OBGYN, we're working very hard to include menopause in our um, 
in our curriculum for not only the medical students, but also our residents, we include lectures that talk about menopause. And we, I think it's very important that all physicians know and understand menopause so that they can better serve their patients. Um, most patients will, you know, present with symptoms and some patients will present with symptoms before the median age of menopause, which is about 51, and wonder what's going on with me and we need to be well-versed in the symptoms and also treatment options for these patients. And I completely agree. So everyone out there listening, it's not you. I think it's one of those things that's very frustrating and stressful to a lot of our female patients. And and I get that, you know, that, that they're not feeling heard by their providers or feeling like their symptoms may be in their head. Um, so definitely everyone listening, stay tuned because we'll go through some symptoms and ways to manage it. So with that being said, in your mind, um, Sheila, how would you define menopause or perimenopause? Like, what does that mean? Well, menopause means the final menstrual period. And usually it's defined by having 12 consecutive months of not having a menstrual period. Now, there are some patients that become menopausal prior to uh, that final menstrual period. And those may be those patients that have had hysterectomy or I mean, hysterectomy and removal of the ovaries at the time of uh, hysterectomy or just removal of the ovaries in general, that makes you menopausal um, when you have your ovaries removed. But 12 months of no menstrual cycle, you can say that you're menopausal. There is a transition where your ovarian hormones um, which includes estrogen, are decreasing over time and you start to have symptoms. And that's usually called perimenopause. The mean age of menopause is about 51. Um, the range can be between 48 and 58. However, there are some women who experience this prior to 40, and that's called premature ovarian failure or primary ovarian insufficiency. So if you're having symptoms, um, this is definitely Definitely something that should be discussed with your physician or uh, your provider that you're seeing to determine whether or not you're going through the transition or if you're actually in menopause. And that's hard because, you know, all the things that go through your mind when like a couple of missed periods, like, oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) depending on you. And and now it's kind of scary because we see all these people like 42, 44 that are having their babies and all that kind of stuff. And so um, can you talk a little bit about like, how do I know I'm going through menopause? How do I know I could be pregnant or like, you know, well, during that transition, um, most women will have problems with ovulating. And so it's very, it can be very unpredictable. So we also have to discuss contraception during that um, perimenopausal uh, phase so that we don't have those women who don't desire pregnancy in their 40s um, so that they will be um, prepared to handle whatever comes at that point. But some of the symptoms that we see with menopause, the most common one It's vasomotor symptoms, and that includes hot flashes or hot flushes and night sweats that women experience. Those two together are referred to as vasomotor symptoms. And so um, because of the decreasing estrogen, you may start experiencing these symptoms prior to that last menstrual period. And um, if 
you're concerned you skip a period and you know you have not gone a whole year, I would advise if you're not have not had uh, some type of sterilization or not on contraception, just to make sure you're not um, experiencing a pregnancy. No, that's awesome. And one of the things that's kind of funny. So one of my good friends, like as kind of her gag slash real present for people when they get married, um, is she would like do this like newlywed kit. And in the newlywed <laughs> kit was a stack of pregnancy tests. And so it was like for those nights when you're like stressed that something else is going. So all that to say is even in the perimenopausal phase, like uh, Sheila's saying, we need to, you know, that's still a possibility. It's still a possibility. And, you know, I always laugh when I'm uh, speaking to some of the uh, groups or students and you hear where your um, either your grandparents or someone have said, you know, they've had that change of life, baby. Uh, and that's what they're referring to when you um, expect to have been done with your reproductive years. And then all of a sudden you have a you have a pregnancy that may not have been expected. And that's because you may have had the irregular menstrual cycles and skipped the cycles, but have not gone through menopause. And so you kind of hit the point of one of the major symptoms are those vasomotor symptoms of hot flashes. What are some other things that you see people coming in that, that they'll notice outside of that? Well, menopause can affect the entire body from head to toe. A lot of women will experience sleep disturbances. Sometimes they'll have migraine head headaches, mood changes, um, some cognitive changes. A lot of women will complain about brain fog. Um, and also you can have metabolic changes and some weight gain during this transition as well. Um, some of the effects can affect the bone where you lose bone density and put yourself at, I mean, you're at risk for osteopenia, or osteoporosis, skin changes, hair changes. And the latter phases of menopause is when we see some of the genital urinary uh, system changes such as um, dyspareunia or painful intercourse, vaginal dryness, burning, irritation. Some women will present thinking they're having yeast infections and it's the itching is due to the lack of estrogen. But these the whole gamut of system uh, symptoms that women experience during menopause can often be um, attributed to something else. Right. <laughs> And that's what makes it hard. <laughs> that's what makes it hard. Um, one thing, you know, some people say, well, anxiety and depression and some of the um, psychiatric problems that patients experience. One thing about that, when you're going through menopause, these symptoms can be exacerbated. And sometimes it requires uh, medication increase increases during this transition. So, yeah, that and, I've, and you know, kind of my heart goes out and I, I, I shared this with Sheila, like I'm a little bit terrified of aging. I won't lie, you know, because it, but but we will later in the show. There, there is hope. There are options. Um, but I just want to just really share. And I'm happy that she kind of went through the symptoms so that people don't. I get so many females that come into my clinic that are so frustrated and they're just like, is something wrong? Like everyone feels like there is, is something else physically going wrong and I feel bad saying I think we're going through the change you know as they say the change I think we're going through the change but I think people it's they don't expect all of that everyone hears hot flashes and they they think if they don't have hot flashes then they must not be you're absolutely right the thing to remember that this is a natural 
part of the aging process. And about 2 million women enter menopause each year. And women will spend anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of their lifespan in menopause. You know, once you enter it, you're there whether you're having symptoms or not, but once you uh, have that final menstrual uh, cycle or you've been diagnosed with menopause by lab studies or so forth, you will spend 40% of the rest of your life because of life expectancy of women in menopause. And I really feel like, you know, oftentimes people sometimes brush off the symptoms, but as I was saying before kind of preparing like we're not learning as much as we should about this and how to treat this but how debilitating it can be because some people are missing work or they're you know other things as you talk about the brain fog and you talk about the significance of their symptoms. You know what's interesting now is that a lot more employers are starting to recognize that menopause affects women in every aspect of their lives Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of uh, employers are making allowances based upon that. And a lot of the uh, insurers, insurance companies are also starting to provide more resources for patients uh, that experience menopause that can affect not only their their work-life balance and so forth. So um, that's something that's coming down the line that we probably will see more of because you have leaders, women leaders, that will experience menopause. Um, So we have learned a good bit so far from Sheila. And so we've learned a little bit about what is menopause, what are symptoms of menopause, how can I kind of know what's happening with menopause. The other big question that I get a lot, Sheila, with my patients that I also struggle with is labs. Is it helpful for, I'll get patients like, I think I'm going through menopause. Can you draw some labs and let me know? Like, is that helpful? Well, I usually don't rely specifically on labs. If they've gone a whole year without a cycle and they're symptomatic, I would say they're in menopause. If they've had their ovaries removed surgically, they're in menopause. And the thing is, the estrogen levels can wax and wane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people will adjust therapy based upon salivary estrogen, but that waxes and wanes. So I don't always rely on uh, lab studies. Uh, that patient that has gone several months and very symptomatic, I will often get um, lab studies such as an FSH or estradiol level and estradiol level to see if they're actually in menopause. And But I don't rely on labs to treat. Okay. I rely on labs I mean, I rely on symptoms as far as treatment. Um, Of course, when you start looking at hormone replacement therapy and other options to treat some of this other um, symptoms and issues related to menopause, then you may actually get lab studies. Okay. And that's where I have the biggest challenge is because there's a lot of people offering them. (laughs) I'll get patients that go, and the challenge I get sometimes in my clinic is I'll go get patients that've had those labs and they bring them to me and I'm like... How do you, uh, what do I do with What this? do you do with this? <laughs> uh, yes. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of times those lab studies are expensive. Mm-hmm. And some patients are paying a lot of money out of pocket uh, where the insurances don't cover these. But I, I don't always rely on labs. The only time that I really rely on labs, if a patient were to be on testosterone, um, I would um, use 
measuring testosterone levels to see if it's even worth continuing it because if they're not having a response after a certain length of time, you don't need to continue it. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's just one of those things where we are getting so technical and we have so many options. And I tell my patients this all the time that sometimes we have things and we're getting advanced in medicine, but we haven't quite figured out like what that looks like for everyone. Um, And and I feel like those hormonal labs are one of those things. I agree. Uh, The thing that you have to keep in mind, you have to individualize each patient, Uh, any person treating a menopausal woman. It has to be individual. Individualize. Uh, one size does not fit all. So you have to look at that patient and her symptoms, her medical conditions, and so forth. Um, when you're trying to treat that patient, it can be very challenging uh, treating the menopausal woman. Yes, ma'am. Well, it looks like we've got our first caller. We have Emily, who is on the road this morning. Good morning, Emily. Hey, yeah, I'm interested to know how conditions such as... Um, antiphospholipid syndrome and PCOS, um, how they affect perimenopause and menopause and specifically treatment for menopause. Well, PCOS, you tend to have anovulation, so you may not have predictable regular periods. And so uh, with that, it could be hard to tell exactly when you go through menopause. With the antiphospholipid syndrome making you at risk for clots, it can be uh, challenging as far as how do we treat the symptoms where you wouldn't probably would not be uh, a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. And with that, uh, we would look at other treatment options because there are several other treatment options for uh, menopause that do not include estrogen and progesterone hormone replacement therapy. Awesome. Well, Emily, I'm sorry. I think we lost you. I hope that that did answer your question um, this morning, but thank you so much for your call. Well, thank you for that question, Emily, because that does kind of lead us into a little bit about what are my options for treatment um, as far as menopause goes? Well, I like to look at it as we have our FDA-approved options, uh, which include hormone therapies and non-hormonal therapies. The hormonal therapies include estrogen, estrogen and progesterone, and this group of uh, class of medicine calls uh, tissue-selected estrogen complex. As far as non-hormonal therapies, we have the SSRI. There's one that has been FDA-approved for the treatment of menopause, vasomotor motor symptoms, and then there's a new drug that recently came on the market. It's called the NK3 receptor antagonist, and it works in the brain uh, as far as receptors in the brain that regulate um, thermal regulation as far as hot flashes, specifically hot flashes in the brain. Uh, other options, of course, there are over-the-counter options that a lot of women would utilize, such as different supplements, herbal therapies, mind-body techniques, such as uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And of course, you can always use lifestyle modifications, weight loss, cooling techniques, avoiding triggers, and yoga. So um, some patients will use a combination of medication or supplements and some of these lifestyle modifications to actually help them get through this transition. Yes. And so with all that, with all the kind of different options, and I think the one that probably people are most familiar with is the estrogen. So how do you so can you tell us a little bit about 
a little bit more about hormone therapy? Because I think people, A, as a provider, I get nervous about hormone therapy with my patients. And I think patients, too, taking hormones get a little bit worried just because of the side effects we know and those types of things. Well, I can tell you that when the WHI, which is the Women's Health Initiative Study, uh, came out in 2002, uh, most women stopped taking their hormone therapy, Mm -hmm. their estrogen, (laughs) progesterone therapy. And about there's been an 84% decline in the use of hormone replacement therapy. However, what we learned from that study is that the factors that played a significant part in the risk that came out of that study, such as risk of increased thrombo, uh, blood clotting and stroke and so forth, were related to the age of initiation of hormone replacement therapy. Uh, a lot of women were fearful for breast cancer. Uh, and what we learned from WHI is that if you initiate hormone therapy uh, early on within the first five to 10 years of menopause, um, and you looked at the patient's medical history, patients would benefit. Estrogen plays a role in every part of the body, including the brain. There are estrogen receptors in the brain, uh, which uh, contributes to some of the cognitive changes that women experience Mm -hmm. in menopause. Uh, There are estrogen receptors everywhere. So the heart health is important. Uh, Estrogen plays a significant role with heart health. So if you if you utilize estrogen early on in the patient who did not, does not have all these risk factors, like they've had a stroke or they have blood clots and so forth, they will benefit the most from hormone replacement therapy. And hormone replacement therapy is still the first line treatment option for vasomotor symptoms. Right. And and I also kind of preparing for this as well was looking back and I think I've probably been more most comfortable with just giving a pill. But from my understanding, we have more options of giving patients hormone replacement now. Yes, we have options, transdermal options. In fact, transdermal, um, which the patch or even some of the creams um, are the preferred option for patients to decrease the risk of blood clots and so forth. And it kind of gives them a more of a steady state of estrogen delivery. um, And it works well in patients. There are also studies that show it helps with better glucose control in your Mm. diabetics. And, you know, a lot of patients, a lot of providers are afraid to give diabetics hormone replacement therapy. But some of the studies show that, they have better glucose control if you're controlling hot flashes. It's, I tell people the body remains fascinating. Like, <laughs> even though we think we figured it out in science and we make these calculations and we do these dose adjustments, that in the end, everyone's different. Everyone and every, is The different. way we metabolize medicine's different. The way our body kind of, you know, goes through the change is different. Well, it looks like we've got our next caller. We've got Vivian in Gloucester, Mississippi. Vivian, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine. How are you all? I'm good. What's your question? I wanted to know, what is the lifespan for women? As far as, um, well, you're talking about the age lifespan or the length of time in menopause? (laughs) Uh, The age lifespan. It used to be 85 for women, but with COVID, we saw, we've seen a slight decrease in the life expectancy for women, but the average lifespan was around 85 for women. Oh, and what about men? 
That one, I'm not sure, Vivian. Men had a lower (laughs) lifespan than women. I think it was around 80 uh, for men. And, of course, with COVID, we've we've, uh, seen a slight decrease, Vivian. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. We appreciate your question. But yes, I, and it's so it's so hard. I tell everyone in medicine to we want to do the right thing. We want to feel better and, you know, all those types of things. But you, it, again, like the menopausal symptoms can be pretty significant for a lot of people that but then you're scared to take the hormone replacement. But it seems like unless you have a contraindication like the clots or history of stroke, overall, for most people, it can be a safe option that we use. It definitely can be a safe option especially if you initiate it within the first five years of menopause. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And I've got with me Dr. Sheila Bolden, who is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at UMMC and is also um, a specialist in menopause uh, here um, that's on with us this morning. So I did get a good question from Vivian, who was asking about the uh, average life expectancy. So looked it up over the break. For men, it is 77. Um, so I wanted to uh, uh, clarify for in the U.S. at least. Um, but we're going to jump right into our next caller. We've got Betty in Vicksburg. Good morning, Betty. Hello. Yes. Good morning. How are you? Oh, fine. I hope you are as well. Um, I had two things to say. I just wondered if uh, is the term for starting uh, menstruation menarch? Um I have something in relation to the age at starting. And also, uh, I wanted to say that uh, I had life-saving total hysterectomy when I was 47. And until the medication, I believe it was progesterone, kicked in, I have never been so hot in my life. But it didn't take it long to kick in. Uh, so for people going through it, maybe there's hope for them on that as well. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing was, uh, I just, this sounds like I'm telling the doctor what to do, but, um, also along with this on the other end, the starting time, um, <clears throat> I was 10 and a half when I started and the psychology of that was just horrible, even though my mother had prepared me. I felt like I was all alone, and it was horrible, and I had no pain or anything like that. But it, that was tough. And uh, thank you. I'll listen on the radio. Thank you, Betty, for your uh, question and your comments. Uh, the term is menarche mm-hmm. when uh, young ladies first start their menstrual cycle. And uh, there is some correlation that the later they are when they start, they may, the menopause age may be um, a little bit above average. Um, the other thing about menopause is that we tend to see when there are family members that go through menopause, um, you tend to see that other family members will go through around the same time. I often ask my patients, when did your mom or your sibling go through menopause? Um, women that smoke 
tend to go through menopause earlier and women that live at higher altitudes also go through menopause earlier. Uh, it can be very terrifying um, and confusing to go through to start menarche around the age of 10, um, 10 and a half. Um, and what we're seeing along with our pediatricians, mm-hmm. we're starting to educate our young women um, and we're doing community efforts uh, to talk about menstrual cycles and so forth. Uh, I wasn't aware until a year ago that there's a national menstrual hygiene day. Okay. And <laughs> and that's in, in May. Um, and so uh, I was fortunate to be able to participate with a panel and discuss menstrual cycles with young ladies. Oh, yes. And, and Betty brought up a great point. Like I even, you know, we're seeing it younger and younger now, even nine. I know that's crazy to say. And I start having that conversation pretty, my other hat is pediatrics. Um, so I start having that conversation very young because I, I remind parents, you know, that's terrifying if you don't know what to expect to be at school. And then the last thing you want is the friends filling in the blanks. Um, and so you can only imagine what that sounds like uh, when friends get involved with explaining how these things work. So I, I really encourage parents. I know some of us don't necessarily like to have that conversation so young but but we have to because even if it's not happening to your child it's possibly happening to a friend um and and they're terrified and your child is terrified because they don't know what's going on and so you know unfortunately that's happening younger and younger these days but thank you so much for your question betty we're going to move on to our next caller t in oxford good morning t good morning i was just wondering if you could um provide some advice for men or spouses. I realize most of your patients are women, and, uh, well, all of them are, and that uh, men don't get a chance to query, you know, physicians about how to deal with spouses who are going through menopause. Well, for example, that you, you know, you described that some treatments involve SSRIs, which I understand to be uh, antidepressant medications, things like that. So I guess there is a lot of behavioral uh, complexity there. I, I certainly noticed it. T, that's an excellent question. In fact, I have spouses that call and want to make appointments <laughs> for their uh, for their wives because of the symptoms that they're having. I think it's important that uh, men also understand exactly what menopause is and how the lack of estrogen can affect their relationships, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of women will have mood changes during this uh, transition period and being more understanding and uh, understand what your spouse is going through actually helps. Also, uh, as far as uh, relationships, sexual relationships, understanding the lack of estrogen in the vagina causes thinning and pain. Um, so it's important that couples be able to um, discuss these things. And also men go through something that's called andropause, where they have decreasing testosterone levels, and that can also affect um, relationships. So, yes. Uh, thank you so much for that question, T, because, you know, it is it's, it's a change for everyone and it's and it's a lot emotionally and physically. And so I think Sheila is right by saying, you know, just trying to be there for each other, open communication, you know, how you're feeling. And, and really, you know, I get this a lot in my male My male patients share a, a same sentiment, T, um, when I have them in, in clinic as well. And it's just trying to be on the uh, same page and um, patient and empathy, you know, are the things that pe- that people are looking for. 
Okay, I, I was just, like in the case of, of my wife, I was like thinking maybe that I needed to suggest she see a neurologist or something. She had a lot of memory issues and uh, uh, there were even sort of behavioral issues uh, that, that seemed odd. I was completely puzzled by this whole experience. Yes. And, you know, I think it's also important to, you know, realize that um, there could be other things that could cause some of the same symptoms that women are experiencing in menopause. So it I would still, you know, look at some of the memory changes. And one thing about cognition and women and Alzheimer's, women are so used to multitasking that women are often diagnosed later than men are with um, dementia or, or Alzheimer's because the multitasking, they've been able to do this for so long and women tend to, disease tends to be more progressive by the time that they're diagnosed. So um, I would just look at everything and, you know, base that upon that and make sure she's seeing a healthcare provider that can help with these decision making, with the decision making. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, T. And I'm just going to add on, um, you have a great day. And just to add a little bit about uh, what we talked about with that is just remembering, as we mentioned earlier in the show, everything is very individualized. And so I don't want everyone to take away like, oh, all my symptoms are menopause. Like, no, this is a conversation to definitely have with your primary care provider. Tell them what you're going through, what your symptoms are, because there are other things that play a role. Patients that have, you know, high... Uh, thyroid problems as they, you know, go through menopause and the, these hormonal changes or your treatment, you know, sometimes the dose of your medications for those things may need to be adjusted. So, you know, I don't want everyone to take away like, oh, it's menopause it has answered everything for me this morning. Like, yes, I just want to, ma- to make you aware you still should be having this conversation with your primary care provider. Well, we're going to move on to our next caller. We've got Shalisa in Biloxi. Am I saying that correct? Yes, that's correct. Awesome. Well, good morning. Good morning. First, I want to say I'm excited to be on with Dr. Bolden because you helped, you delivered um, a daughter to me through a successful VBAC about almost 22 years ago in Biloxi, Mississippi, um, at Biloxi Regal. I don't know if you remember it. I'm sure you've had a ton. But um, I was delighted to turn on the radio and find that you were the guest on today. Thank you, Shalisa. (laughs) I was there about 22 and a half years ago in Biloxi. That was the first place that I started practicing in OBGYN. Yes, I thought you were an excellent doctor, and I was so thrilled to have a successful feedback with my daughter. And I credit it to your being patient with me and letting my body do what my body was going to do. So I appreciate that. Um, But on to my question, Um, several years later, I had a partial hysterectomy due to fibroids, and I still have my ovaries. So now at 48 years old, um, I really don't know how to know when I'm premenopausal. And the, the kind of hiccup is that I have multiple autoimmune illnesses that I'm dealing with. I have lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, myositis. I take various medications for each of those, see a rheumatologist, and I'm always having odd symptoms 
but I don't know exactly what to attribute them to. So um, I have my ovaries still, but no uterus, and I'm 48 years old. And I have what feels kind of like hot flashes, I guess, but I, I really don't know how to know when I'm beginning menopause. That's a very good question, Shalisa. Um, as far as a hot flash, it's a sensation of heat is usually in the upper part of the body from the chest to the face upward. And you get this redness, heat sensation. And then as the temperature comes down, you break out into chills. Uh, patients describe being hot and cold. Um, sometimes they get it, get them at night where they wake up and they're sweaty, and they want to take everything off, and then um, they they need blankets afterwards because they're cold. Usually, you know, because you still have your ovaries, um, it's based upon symptoms. It can be confusing with your autoimmune uh, disorders, especially because in menopause, some women will experience bone pain um, during that transition as well. Um, in your case, if you're having symptoms, then um, this is one time that I would probably would use a lab test to see if you're actually in menopause. Um, but the fact that you have your ovaries, they're still functioning. And one thing that's important for women to remember is that when you have the ovaries, the ovaries produce not only estrogen, but hormones we call androgens, which affect your libido. Which affect what? Your uh, sex drive, your libido. Oh, okay. Right, right, okay. Yeah. So so you would suggest maybe have a lab, in my case, to determine, you know, change in hormone levels? In your case, I probably would uh, check your hormone levels, especially if you start having symptoms and you're not sure if it's related to your autoimmune uh, disorders. Right, okay. Because I do tend to have periods where I have sweating. However, I have other temperature changes that feel to me like that's what a hot flash is and that the sweating is related to something else, medication or I don't know. It's like, I don't know what's going on. So anyway, yeah, it's just kind of hard to tell. And I don't know if the age, I'm 48. My mother also had a hysterectomy, but she had a total. So we have no idea, you know, when she would have hit um, menopause, so I can't go by that either. Well, you're definitely in the age range that we see women go through menopause. So um, you probably would benefit for checking um, um, okay. a hormone level to see if you're actually there. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Have a great morning, Shalisa. And All thank right, you for yeah. your call. Roger, I think you've been patiently waiting uh, to, to speak with us. So we've got Roger on this morning from Florence. Good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm just quite well. Thank you. Thank you for what a wonderful program. Uh, Laura and I were blessed oh, 50 or more years ago to have, with God's help, four boys. We didn't have girls. I know about boys. I don't know about girls. And I know that boys don't know about girls. So my comment is that I wish the medical profession, not just you wonderful ladies who see ladies as doctors, but male doctors and ladies who see boys 
they need to start talking to boys about menstrual periods at at least by nine years old because boys grow up with all sorts of distorted notions and they they really well as some of you may know some of the listeners definitely know that boys talk about this it's a matter of education it's part of sex education but don't call it that that turns some people off and they don't listen teach boys about girls okay that's my comment Nice show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your comment, Roger. And that's so true because, you know, I and, and I try to encourage parents, you know, as I mentioned, my other hat is pediatrics, just to, to talk to your kids. And you're exactly right, boys. And I've got two boys and a little girl. So all these questions are coming up in general anyway, because they know this. They know there's a difference between girls and boys. And so, you know, you want to make sure your kids get the right information. And so I really do encourage parents, like you said, Roger, on both ends to talk to your children, because if you're not talking to them, they're getting their advice from other people or their friends who are not always giving the most correct advice. So thank you for that comment, Roger. Well, we have had just learned so much this morning um, so far about menopause. I did want to just take a quick moment. We we spent a lot of time talking about hormone therapy, um, and that's the one that we're most comfortable with or people know the most about. And then we briefly talk about there is an option for antidepressants such as SSRIs that can help, particularly with hot flashes, minimally and mood a little bit. But uh there are some newer options out there um, that I personally am less familiar with. And I always end up kind of saying, have you talked to your OBGYN yet? Um, but we're lucky because we have an OBGYN this morning. So what other options are people that can't take hormone therapy have? And full disclosure, I have to say that I'm on the speaker bureau for um, the Estella's Pharmaceutical, which has a new drug out that's called Vioza, and it's a neurokinin-3 receptor antagonist. It works in the brain by blocking these receptors um, for this hormone level, I mean, this agent that competes with estrogen that causes hot flashes. So that's an option for patients. And when we mention SSRIs, uh, there's one that has been approved by the FDA, and it's called Brisdale. Uh, some people, because of the generic name prescribed Paxil, it's not the same. It's a different salt than Paxil, so you can't easily interchange it. Uh, a lot of studies have shown that Effexor uh, helps reduce hot flashes in women, and I use that in patients who don't want to take hormone replacement therapy. Uh, I've also used Gabapin sometimes to help with night sweats and so forth, and especially in my patients that are diabetic and have peripheral neuropathy. Um, some of the SSRIs, they get a bad rep because they do affect uh, libido or sexual desire. But Bristol, that has been FDA approved, uh, you don't tend to have those same sexual side effects that some of the other ones do. And so the question always becomes, does insurance like to cover that? <laughs> of course, with any new drug that comes out, you may have some challenges uh -huh. getting the insurance to cover it. Um and uh, several other medications that been that are out to help with some of the um, symptoms that women experience with menopause. Um, but fortunately for patients, some of the pharmaceutical companies provide resources to help with uh, financing or purchasing these medications, having access to them. 
So the last kind of burning question that I know a lot of people have, when does this end? <laughs> like when <laughs> when can I expect <laughs> menopause to end? You know, that's a very good question. Like I said at the very beginning, women will spend 40% of their lives in menopause. The question is whether or not you will have symptoms gotcha. during this time. Um, a lot of the studies show that the mean age um, length of time is about 7.4 years. However, there are differences based upon racial, um, ethnicity, and so forth. And women, t- uh, black women tend to have symptoms longer for a mean of 10 years. And our um, Asian women have the shortest length of time of symptoms um, as related to menopause. And our uh, white patients... The average is 6.4 years that they may have symptoms. So there is a difference. We don't know what, how, why there's a difference. We don't know if it's genetics or not. Well, thank you so much for being on with us today, Sheila, and sharing us all your great knowledge. Today's show was engineered by a, um, Abram Nanny. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.